<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week's film is the latest from eight-time Oscar bridesmaid, but never bride, writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson. The film is Licorice Pizza. And in this movie, we're heading back to 1973 to the San Fernando Valley in California. A sort of strip mall suburbia just outside Los Angeles, close enough to Hollywood to see the odd star, but far enough away to make it all seem out of reach. Here we meet Alana, played by Alana Haim, famous for being one of the sisters in the band which shares her name. Alana is 25 years old and she is stuck. She lives at home with her family. She works as an assistant to a school photographer who likes smacking her ass. She doesn't know where she's going and seems to lack the motivation to figure it out. Enter Gary, played by Cooper Hoffman, son of deeply missed Oscar winner Philip Seymour Hoffman, a 15-year-old student at her school who basically falls in love with her at first sight. That's the girl I'm going to marry, he proclaims to a friend. This could, and arguably should, feel totally absurd, but unlike Alana, Gary is not stuck. He's the opposite of stuck. He's a child star actor who can't sit still for long enough to get stuck. And when he approaches Alana and asks her to join him for dinner at a fancy restaurant where he's a regular, there's something about his charm and confidence that convinces her to say yes, though she clarifies in no uncertain terms that it's not a date. From here, we follow them on their adventure, getting to know one another and trying to navigate the precarious waters of first love. Licorice Pizza asks the question, In the pinball game of life, will you be one who springs to the top or one who can't find their way out of the soggy bottom? First impression, mm-hmm. Helen. Well, we waited a long time to see this movie oh, because movie theaters have been closed in Ontario for a while. And I got to see this with uh, Miss Sinclair. And it was so just jealous. really nice. It yeah. was nice, yeah. <clears throat> it was just really nice to be in a theater with a friend. And so I definitely was filled with some excitement, some cinematic excitement. And I was I was invested when right off the top of this movie. I liked the style, and I was excited to see where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinclair? Yeah. Well, I, I need to say, too, it's just exciting to be in the theater watching a Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. film. I mean, obviously nothing against Marvel movies, Edison, but it's right. just, sometimes it's, it's nice to just be in a cinema watching a director like Paul Thomas Anderson. It just felt really good, especially... Mm-hmm. These things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this, this film starts off with a real energy to it it's very charming there's this endearing banter that's happening between these two characters that are just meeting each other for the first time so the film really grabs your attention right away with its pace and its energy so even though you don't quite know who these two are yet or what exactly they're doing like when this started I wasn't quite sure what the setting was what they were actually doing what their job Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. you are instantly charmed by it and yeah you feel invested in it right away there's just an energy running through this film that really captures you right off the bat mm-hmm. yeah I agree completely I was also I also saw this at the cinema I went by myself and I like was so happy to be there and yeah. You know, we really miss it when we don't get to go. Yeah. So it was such a joy to see this film. I knew it would be a beautiful film visually, so it was important to see there. Um, but I agree with you. The the My very first impression was that I just loved how 
these both of these characters just look like real people. They just look like right. regular ordinary yep. people. And there's something just refreshing and lovely about that. You just instantly kind of buy in. And I also want to say that the title, like, font, when Licorice mm. Pizza pops <laughs> up, I'm so obsessed with. I want that, like, as a poster. I want it as, like, an electric neon mm-hmm. light somewhere. I think it's so cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, why don't we get into storytelling? Mm-hmm. This has an interesting storyline to it I would say it it, to me felt very meandering Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't love this movie Mm -hmm. oh all in all I had a hard time connecting to this Mm. I did find their romance at first to be intriguing and I wanted to see what where it was gonna go but there came a point where I didn't care enough about their connection to latch on to that and that's kind of at the heart of the film mm-hmm. so I I left this a little bit lukewarm personally okay. yeah okay so yes at the heart of this story is it's just a story about these two people kind of bouncing through yeah. life and they're kind of discovering their love for relationship with one another so if you're not bought into them then i can see how the film itself might not be super great because for me i had the complete opposite reaction i absolutely okay. loved them both so much and was so fully invested in their relationship with one another i believed them and their their strange connection there's questions about that sure but like i i really was completely bought in so Mm. that carried me through this film and it's very kind of meandering yes like dreamlike sort of wandering lack of structure storytelling style uh what about you sinclair well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this wasn't a love story or a romance to me at all. Their mm. romantic relationship wasn't really a thing for me. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that that's what it was about at the end of the day, about these two characters having any sort of real romantic relationship Mm. I wasn't really attached to that idea I don't even necessarily believe that they continued to have any sort of relationship that was romantic afterwards that never really felt like a real thing to me and I think that's because of how this story is actually told and structured this film I think could have felt a bit disjointed or probably should have felt more disjointed to me I guess it might have for you but The way this was told oddly worked for me because there isn't a real concept of time with this. Mm. These are Mm -hmm. very random incidences that are happening. There's this friendship between these two characters that is very progressive, but it doesn't seem to be following any sort of like beat by beat timeline. Mm-hmm. It seems to be like very fragmented and very anecdotal. And there's almost a memory or a dreamlike quality to this where when I was watching it, I didn't actually know what was real, what had really happened, what was just somebody's memory, or maybe it was just one person's perspective of this relationship, or mm-hmm. maybe this was being seen by a man looking back with like this nostalgic lens. So mm-hmm. it, it's odd because it this film isn't hazy or foggy. It's actually very concise in its fragmentation. But there are elements of this where I wasn't actually sure what was what really happened. That's why I never really took the romantic quality of this seriously Hmm, that's interesting if if that makes sense yeah it felt to me like even with the kiss at the end it just felt like it was some sort of like teenage fantasy or how one person remembered it and to me this was more a movie about confusion and maybe unreciprocated love or the complications between male and female friendship and also age differences like it just never felt like a love story to me as whimsical as it could feel, it at its heart, it just didn't... That's not how I took it. Yeah, 
I, I think that that's fair. I think that part of what worked for me about this film is that it was really open to interpretation and the way that it mm-hmm. is not structured in any sort of way that mirrors a typical film screenplay structure, I think al- helps allow for that too. There's two protagonists in this film, but typically we would see a story told through very clearly one of their eyes. And this is yeah. neither of them are actually really the eyes or the lens through which we're seeing this film slash they both are at different times. And so I think that that can also lend itself to this sort of dreamlike quality. But I thought it was such a romance. <laughs> I don't know how you could. <laughs> oh, know. I think you can see it that way too. I just felt like a lot of any sort of uh, romantic feelings that were maybe coming from her was more her inferiority and her misplacement in life. And his was coming from, you know, being young and having that sense of like worship of an older woman or an Mm -hmm. older person and each character kind of not having what the other person has and like the complications of that and their feelings stemming from that. How is that not the foundation of so many romantic stories? I just Mm. didn't, I, I didn't care if they ended up together at all. Like I... I no. I thought that their individual struggles and ambitions had interesting parts to them, but them together, what I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, for a lot of this movie, I I kept thinking to myself, is this a memoir? Because mm-hmm. it it has that feeling of almost vignettes. Like mm-hmm. now we're seeing this part of your life where this kind of weird kooky thing happened. And you're going to hate me for saying this, Sinclair, but it made me think about A Christmas Story. <laughs> I actually thought of A Christmas Story, too, when I was That's thinking funny. about what? where the actual material came from. Like these yeah. fragmented memories um, oh, of one's life. Yeah. yeah. So in upon researching this afterwards, it isn't necessary. It's not based off of a memoir, but it is loosely based off of a person's life. So the film producer, Gary Goatsman, is who... Gary Valentine's character is based off of and he is a friend of Paul Thomas Anderson's Uh, and he was also a frequent collaborator with director Jonathan Demme Um, so he was a childhood actor he acted in the film Yours Mine and Ours with Lucia Ball which is what that initial film Under One Roof is based off Mm. of and when they did the New York press tour he did have to be chaperoned by someone who was not his mother he actually hired a burlesque dancer mm-hmm. oh my god amazing chaperone him for the press tour in new york for that film um and he did sell waterbeds as a teenager and did deliver a waterbed to john peters's house he also did volunteer for joel wax campaign and apparently him and jonathan demi did make that commercial mm. that you see in the film oh Really interesting. Okay, cool. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. So there are quite a few events in this film that are based off of real occurrences, Mm -hmm. which makes sense to me. And um, like, it's one of those films where it's so weird (laughs) and offbeat Mm -hmm. that it it would only make sense that it were true, I think. Or said, or took place in Hollywood. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. In retrospect, I'm able to get on board with it a little bit more knowing all of that now. But at the same time, I should be able to watch a film not knowing anything and still enjoy it, right? And get totally. a lot out of it without having to have, the, you know, that background information. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely were giggling a lot. I was giggling. I'm not, I didn't hate it. I just didn't. I, there were so many moments where I was like, why am I watching this? Mm. Why is this happening right now? Why do I care? Mm-hmm. I, well, I definitely don't think that you should feel invested in them being uh, together in the end. Mm. I'm actually happy that you weren't, to be honest. Because that I wasn't like swooning. Yeah, because yeah. I just don't think it's a romance, <laughs> and like I, I, I kind of like that you didn't. I like mm. that you weren't invested in them becoming a mm. couple because I didn't want them to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't really make sense, and it probably wouldn't work, and it's wrong. <laughs> right. You know, I just wasn't seeing the movie through that lens of that happening. But I do like the 
theme of the maturity of this child actor and how mm. you know child actors are essentially a business at the end of the day mm-hmm. yeah. so because gary is in hollywood where children are treated like adults in a mm-hmm. lot of ways he's basically used to being a paycheck and doing things that most kids his age wouldn't be able to do and Mm -hmm. you know he's running around acting like an adult but the adults are actually treating him like an an adult right exactly standing dinner reservations and all that yeah yeah because it's hollywood and it just it shows the strangeness of this bubble in this world and how young people end up having to mature really quickly and they don't have much of an actual childhood and Mm -hmm. they become a business and they want to make money and they make more money than most adults do in their lifetime so it's just a different way of maturing and yeah his mother was his employee yeah, yeah i like how the movie had a lot of fun with that idea hmm I think the movie definitely had a lot of fun with that idea. So yeah. much of the comedy of this film came from that, from Gary and just his way of like being this weird man child. And, but yet very <laughs> clearly still a teenager in a lot of moments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of this film that f- I think people might watch it and be like, okay, wait, what is the point of this Sean Penn character or this Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. scene or Tom Waits? or whatever, but they're not detours from this movie. I feel like they were sort of ghosts of Christmas future potentials <laughs> for Gary in some mm-hmm. way. Like, Oh, yeah, that's interesting. If you, you know, give in to and stay at the e- with this ego of, like, child stardom and Hollywood and all the rest, you can become this sort of grotesque, malformed version of it in adulthood mm. where yeah. those are grown-ass men who are actually acting like teenagers with all that ego yeah. that would be present at that time right yeah and gary is the sort of weird optimistic inverse of it he hasn't been tainted yet by all of that mm-hmm. right and you know i i thought that that was really cool and added to that exploration of his mm. kind of coming yeah. of age element well there's also just the magic of this setting Oh, you know, for sure. Hollywood mm. and, and California, because it's really this feeling of possibility. There's mm. something mm. kind of fun and magical about watching these two young characters, seeing their friendship develop, this business develop, and have it all unfold in this city where actually anything can happen. Like, there's, mm-hmm. think of all the insane stories from Hollywood. Yeah. You know, you just oh, go there for a week and you have an insane story. Like you actually believe that all of these random events that seem to be absurd and random, you believe they would actually happen to someone young in Hollywood. That's yes. what I liked. That's what kind of grounded the absurdity of these situations for me is that you can actually picture this young guy interacting with these eccentric characters in Hollywood, Mm. these different Hollywood celebrities, like every Mm -hmm. day would be a new character and a new adventure that you would encounter. Yeah. Sinclair, where does the title come from? That's a very uh, good question, (laughs) Helen. (laughs) Well, with Paul Thomas Anderson movies, and I find a lot uh, with Quentin Tarantino movies too, I find there's a lot of these like Easter eggs, insider moments that are, really like just for people of a specific era or city or people in the film industry like there are these niche things that will just go over people's heads I find and that it's that's fine it's not meant to make anybody feel excluded it's just fun little insider things that certain people will pick up on and other people will just kind of like appreciate and maybe look it up Mm. after. So Mm -hmm. with licorice pizza, I didn't know why it was called that. And I figured that I would see this movie and at the end I would know why. (laughs) Right. And when it did end, I was like, I still don't think I know why it's called licorice pizza. And because I'm not from California and I wasn't a teenager in the 70s or 80s, I just don't have that knowledge to pull from. So Mm. I Googled and looked it up. And Licorice Pizza was basically a record store chain in SoCal in the 70s and 80s. Oh, interesting. Well, the black, like, shiny cover 
of a record, like yes, a vinyl record, is black like licorice, and then it's round and like the size and the shape of a pizza. So it was more a play on that. And it was a very popular uh, chain of record stores that people would hang out at. And it was just the cool thing to do at that that's time. Cool. So that's a very special and specific like niche throwback for people of that time. And then it's also totally. an interesting thing for us to learn. And all, well. it's also because um, records are called LPs. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so it, it came from that as well. The yeah. abbreviation oh. LP, which actually oh stands God. for long play. Yeah. Um, but oh, then, look at y'all yeah. with your fun facts. Yeah. Well, it's a cool. It is a cool. It's very cool. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It adds to the authenticity of the film, really, and the personalized element of this. You yeah. know that this is a story that's very personal to Paul Thomas Anderson. Even if the story if itself isn't, the setting and the characters yeah. and the people and everything, it's a personal story, right? Yeah. Personal well, and film. I, d- I do think that the uh, when you hear the title, Licorice Pizza, it's so odd. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do think that kind of reflects the film too. Totally, that it, yeah. just a little bit. It shouldn't really go together and a little bit offbeat. Well, yeah, but that kind of like Greg and Alana. That's how yeah, I take yeah. it. Where exactly. it's like yeah. these two things that don't and shouldn't really go together. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you do put them together, there is some sort of kinship there, or yeah. you know, something special there. It, um, it works mm-hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. 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 So there is one more thing in terms of storytelling that I think we should touch on, which is there is some Asian racism in this film. Yeah. One of Gary's business partners, I suppose, who is opening a Japanese restaurant in L.A., has a number of Japanese wives that he speaks to in a very inappropriate accent. Mm-hmm. And this was inspired by stories that Paul Thomas Anderson's mother-in-law told him, Kamiko Rudolph, who is uh, Maya Rudolph's stepmother, mm-hmm. uh, of how she would experience these things in mm-hmm. L.A., like very, very similar situations. But the way that it's depicted in this movie is, I found, quite uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think because it's played for laughs. Right. But you don't want to laugh at it. Right. Right. I think that's the thing. That might be where, like he says in a in an interview with the New York Times, he said, I think it would be a mistake to tell a period film through the eyes of 2021. You can't have a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. You have to be honest at that time. Not that it wouldn't happen right now, by the way. My mother-in-law is Japanese and my father's-in-law is white. So seeing people speak English to her with a Japanese accent is something that happens all the time. I don't think that's they even insane. know they're doing it. Totally. <laughs> what did it add to this film? Did it need to be there? It uh, it yeah. did uncomfortably add laughter in the theater yeah. where I was at. People laughed. And yeah. In terms of this, like representing the time, I just I don't think in this case it, it was needed. And it, it felt quite clunky because of the style mm-hmm. of this film, because it is so fragmented. It, it is mm-hmm. very anecdotal. It does kind of seem like its own moment and the themes of like the casual racism of this time aren't explored any further in this for it to really have any sort of real depth or exploration Mm -hmm. of the time i think that this film aesthetically captures the 70s but i Mm. don't think it focused on the attitudes and the language enough for them to have to explore this Really, in that moment. All right, let's move into performances. Mm -hmm. So this movie, as we've said, is is focused around Cooper Hoffman and Alina Heim's characters, both first-time actors, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I thought they were very capable. Mm -hmm. As much as I didn't hook into the story, I thought they were both very good. Mm -hmm. I thought that they were fucking fantastic both of them Mm -hmm. i can't believe that it's their first film at least alana is comfortable on you know in music videos and as a performer Mm -hmm. so she's got a relationship with the camera that's already very developed that doesn't necessarily mean we've seen all kinds of you know (laughs) musicians Mm -hmm. who are absolutely atrocious actors so it doesn't mean that she was gonna be any good (laughs) no it truly doesn't but i thought she was remarkable i thought she had such range I thought that she had, with those close-ups when she would smile, she has an almost unbelievable warmth 
to her mm. face. Mm-hmm. And yet she can also be this like spiky boss when she's like shouting him down or when she's like she's when she's backing the truck down through the Hollywood <laughs> Hills. She's so focused and like mm. I I was obsessed with her. I loved this performance so, so much. Mm. And mm-hmm. I'll just quickly say um, I was reading an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson from that same one from the Times and he said oh I've seen Alana's ferociousness she may look mm-hmm. like a Jewish girl from the valley but she's sort of a 30s throwback fast talking very funny very sharp you do not want to challenge her in a fight with words because she will win Ooh, yeah mm-hmm. I like that yeah I mean I love the Heim sisters I mean my favorite is actually Danielle as I've mentioned to mm-hmm. you guys before and then you know Esty is definitely a, a force for mm. sure. She definitely grabs your attention. So I never responded to Alana as much. So mm. I really s- was surprised with how much she shined in this film yeah. and had such a natural talent. And the three of them are just, they're really cool. And they're yeah. all in this film. The whole, yeah. and the whole family. <laughs> yeah. The whole family. And yeah, I mean, they have a really great relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson mm-hmm. I read that I guess the Heim sisters mom was actually his teacher yeah his his art school teacher or something which is really cool and they're all from the valley so there's that connection there and he just wanted to direct their music videos yeah. so he's become kind of this like creative mentor for them and they have just like a similar aesthetic and California energy that I just think really, really works. And I love that he just saw this in her and Mm -hmm. had enough faith in her to say, hey, you're going to be the lead of this movie. Like that's somebody, Mm, a director who just takes risks and recognizes talent and they do things differently. They don't like to do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize she would have such a big part when I first heard that she was being cast in this. And then after this came out, you're like, whoa, she's the lead. And she really is the soul of the movie at the end. Yeah. And then Cooper Hoffman as well. This is his very first time acting in a professional Mm -hmm. sense ever. And he's the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is an Oscar winner, has been in five of Paul Thomas Anderson's films before you know he died his untimely death in 2014 and Cooper would have been like 10 or 11 at that time Mm. and this must have been so daunting he's known Paul Thomas Anderson for his whole life and you know Paul didn't approach him as a like you're gonna be the lead in this film right he he said oh you know here's this thing what do you think about this and tried to be all kind of nonchalant about it and then actually went through a really rigorous audition process auditioned a bunch of other people had a lot of reading with all kinds of other actors and he said he kept being struck with this idea that like these other actors maybe they were they were precocious or they were trained like too well trained too young and didn't have Mm. this sort of natural way and one of the things that Paul Thomas Anderson said was you know he's and found that he's been telling this really personal story this Mm. film is just pulling together all these pieces of his life that are really personal so how could Cooper not be Mm -hmm. the right one for Gary Mm -hmm. yeah and I I just thought that his performance was also really really great Yeah. yeah Well, he also is someone who he grew up with a really famous father. He Mm -hmm. is he's very familiar with Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He grew up around Paul Thomas Anderson. There's a understanding of that world already that Mm -hmm. may not be there with a newcomer who doesn't have that history. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes that can be enough to like give the character just having that familiarity with that world okay so there were a couple of like very larger than life um supporting (laughs) performances in this film very specifically tom waits bradley cooper and sean penn so we gotta at least talk about them a little bit yeah well i got very excited when my bradley came on the screen (laughs) um because i've been waiting for him the whole movie and again, I was just like, what is happening? Yeah. Why? Why is he being this way? Yeah. I I was really thrown off by that performance. I just wasn't really sure what I was supposed to take from it. It was so erratic. 
was he on drugs? Was he just like so crazy about Barbara Streisand? <laughs> um, and like wanting, like I just, I couldn't wrap my head around what his purpose was. Mm-hmm. Well, he is a Hollywood eccentric. Okay. That yeah. is who he is, like playing John Peters. Yeah. And it's funny because if you watch actual footage of John Peters, it is spot on. Okay. How he sounds, okay. how he looks, his energy. And it is, it's a Hollywood eccentric. It's like people that you don't even believe exist in this world. They mm. should be just found on a on a page of a script, but they are real. Right. And because it's Hollywood. Because right. Because it's Hollywood. And... <laughs> also, John Peters, uh, famous hairstylist but producer, and he did produce, uh, he was one of the producers on A Star is Born. I know, I know. It's a <laughs> so very, you gotta uh, give full him circle. some, yeah. <laughs> I loved the fact that he was barely in this. He just showed up. He yeah. made that impact because that's exactly what a, that person would do. If you You're run right. into a person like that, that yeah. person will be in your memory for the rest of your life. Like true, that is you true. You will remember that day that you ran into John Peters. Yeah, yeah. Um, technical. All right, technical. I mean, this film is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's something I can gush over. I think that my favorite shot of this film is when they're laying on the waterbed at night and it's backlit and their hands are shadowed or are backlit and then they just touch for a second. I thought that shot was so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That one made me like stop and like, oof. Yeah. Just take that moment in. But there's, there's some really stunning cinematography in this film. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I agree. The cinematography was stunning. The lighting, like everything was so warm and so sort of saturated. The close ups on their skin, like you could see them blushing. You could see Mm. them flushing. You could see their, Skin was like glowing with sweat. My favorite shot was like when she falls off the bike after that Sean Penn moment, and <laughs> you know he just starts running. Gary just starts running it's towards. A lot, a lot of running in this movie. Lots of running. A lot of running. A lot of running mm-hmm. in this movie. It totally. almost made me but... want to go for a run, and then I was like, Nah. Wow. <laughs> also, that would have been the crowning achievement of this died. film if it actually made you run actually i can't i literally cannot envision you running i don't never I can't either you, never, you guys have never seen me run no i've never seen you move anything faster than a <laughs> saunter i've never even seen you speed walk i can't no. even the, the image of you running is not an image that my imagination can even generate yeah. me neither it's that just like doesn't exist in this this world so back to anyway. cinematography. Uh, there are two director of photography credits on this film, Paul Thomas Anderson and Michael Bauman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's. I think it's pretty amazing that he is, you know, also acts as cinematographer. Like he, he yeah, did wow. also do Phantom Thread. But I think that this movie wasn't as cinematically grand as mm. other PTA films. This one is very, I I thought pretty quiet in terms of cinematography and just very more like character driven. Like the mm. scale of it wasn't as big. I just mm-hmm. didn't find mm-hmm. it as lavish as some of his other films, like especially Phantom Thread and even right. just like the cinematography and the master. And But it's still really great. And... Well, but it, and it makes sense for and what it makes this sense story for the story, yeah. yeah. And it yeah. also this was shot. Uh, some of it was during COVID. Like this film was mm-hmm. really affected by COVID as well. So mm-hmm. I just feel like the scale was smaller and more intimate in, in this mm-hmm. in this film. Yeah, and an incredible soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, music by Johnny Greenwood, who we mm-hmm. have mentioned many times. Um, yeah, the soundtrack was so great and. It this film does really make you feel like you're in the seventies in Hollywood. Yeah. All right. What is the last word on licorice pizza? Edison. Okay. Well, the last word for me is that I absolutely loved this movie. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, for me, the heart of this is the relationship between Gary and Alana. It is totally romantic for me, but it's not just that. I also absolutely understand this film as being an exploration of each of their sort of 
individual coming of age stories and working out their stuff but I loved their sort of rebellious kinship that they had together they were the anchors through the film the performances were amazing I loved it I absolutely loved it how about you Helen yeah so for me I would I would recommend this for the depiction of the time and this nostalgic feel that it has and the aesthetic as a whole I thought was very charming and that really pulled me in the story itself didn't pull me in as much but I would give it another watch and see how I feel with with this a second viewing on this one Mm -hmm. Uh, what about you Sinclair yeah I mean I I feel like this movie is is really watchable and and I do think that it's it's quite charming I really like this film because I didn't think it was romantic I actually didn't (laughs) didn't (laughs) uh, focus on the romance in this and all the other things that weren't this possible romance is what really worked for me. So I, mm. I actually think it's interesting is, and that we both enjoyed this, but for <laughs> the opposite reasons, I guess, or right. we viewed it in two not, completely no, opposite ways. I yeah, don't know. In terms of the it. romantic elements of it. But yes. Yeah, I think that it's always a treat to be able to watch Paul Thomas Anderson films and see them in the theater I was so happy to just be in the theater finally watching this mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. It's, it was just a, a good experience yeah this week we challenged ourselves to watch a film that fits a particular theme and that theme is salty and sweet salty no, but sugar and sweet spice. no sweet but salty <laughs> oh. God. It's salty uh, but sweet, Edison. Salty and sugar. Uh, sweet and sour. Mm, sweet and sour chicken balls. Okay. <laughs> sweet but... No, no, salty... Shit, what is it actually? Salty but sweet. <laughs> salty but sweet. This is our week in entertainment. Oh, boy. We're off to a great wow. start. All right, Helen, what's your pick? So I decided to stick with the uh, May-December relationship trend that we have going. Mm-hmm. Well, not really trend. We just had the one but now we're about to have more <laughs> and now it's a trend. i now it's a trend i watched notes on a scandal Ooh. from 2006 mm-hmm. um i had seen this movie before but i had wanted to give it a rewatch, and i was really struggling to find something for this week and then i landed on that and i was like oh it's gonna be a good one so this is directed by Richard Eyre, starring Dame Judi Dench and Kate Blanchett. And it is based on the novel of the same name by Zoe Heller. So, Notes on a Scandal is told from the perspective of Barbara Covet, played by Judi Dench. Barbara is an older history teacher at a public school who has a general disdain for pretty much everyone and everything. That is until Sheba Hart comes into the picture. Sheba, played by Kate Blanchett, is a young beautiful and carefree art teacher who is new to the school. Sheba and Barbara become friends, turning Barbara's salty disposition sweet, or so it seems. Sheba begins an illicit affair with a 15-year-old student, which Barbara witnesses. Struggling with her own romantic feelings towards Sheba, Barbara uses this shared secret to keep Sheba close and dependent on her loyalty. So this screenplay was actually written by Patrick Marber and he is the playwright who wrote Closer and then the screenplay for Closer Mm. which is one of my favorite movies Oh, okay. which kind of has similar themes to this Mm -hmm. I really like the way that he writes uh, relationships and tumultuous relationships Mm. (laughs) more specifically so there is the obvious May-December romance in the fact that uh, mid-30s Sheba, played by Kate Planchett, is having an affair with a 15-year-old student. And the inspiration for this actually came from the Mary Kay Letourneau scandal oh, in God. the United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, we have Kate Planchett, who's married to Bill Nye in the movie. And there's a 20-year age difference between them. And then Judy Dench's character is also lusting after Kate Planchett. And there's like a 30-something age difference between them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very interesting amalgamation of these unusual relationships. Mm-hmm. The best part of this movie is watching Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett act together. Mm-hmm. They're so incredible. Mm-hmm. And 
there is such a tension in this entire film and this sort of like, okay, when is this all going to blow up and how is it going to blow up? Because yes, you're waiting for everyone to find out that Sheba has been sleeping with a student, but you're also waiting to find out that uh, Sheba will discover that Barbara's been uh, manipulating her. So there's a lot simmering under the surface in this film. And the first time I watched it, it came out in 2006, and I probably watched it right around the time it came out, and I don't think I fully appreciated the complexity. Mm -hmm. So it was Mm -hmm. really great to watch it again now in 2022 and just be able to digest it a bit more than I did when I first watched it. Another thing that I would not have appreciated back when I first watched it is that there is a young Juno Temple in this movie. Um, She plays Kate and Bill's daughter. And this is, I think, her first film role. And she's really great in it. I love her. I've always been really drawn to parts that she's played. And this is just... it's it's a film that I is worth rewatching. If you're someone who watched this ages ago and it didn't leave an impression on you, I'd give it a rewatch because it's really really good. Mm. And I also am very intrigued to read the book now. I put it on hold at the library. Mm. <laughs> nice. Okay, who's next? <laughs> Edison. Okay, so my pick for this one is from 1999, and it's an oft overlooked and wickedly funny high school movie. This is Jawbreaker, starring <laughs> Rose McGowan, Rebecca Gayhart, and Julie Benz as Courtney, Julie, and Marcy, three mean girls who rule the school. So basically the story is these mean girls are, and this is like prototypical mean girls. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the ones from Mean Girls have got nothing on yeah. these girls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you both seen this movie? I love this yeah. movie. Fuck. This is one of my favorite 90s movies. Okay, so the story is basically these mean girls are all friends, but they play this trick where, you know, they would always, on the one's birthdays, they'd prank them. They had these crazy Mm -hmm. pranks. So they decided to do the ultimate prank on their friend Liz, Liz Purr. And they kidnap her. And they're like, we're going to kidnap her and take her away. But then Courtney, that's Rose McGowan, has a brilliant idea to just add a little extra something to this, uh, you know, trick that she would shove a jawbreaker into Liz's mouth to gag her. Well, Liz chokes and dies uh, on the jawbreaker. And so then now they have to deal with the body. So this also features a young Judy Greer who plays the nerd. Right? Third male. <laughs> yes. Who... Who gets tasked by, you know, the one of the teachers to bring home Liz's homework and assignments because Liz has obviously been absent at school as she is dead. And Fern walks in and sees the girls talking about what they're going to do, you know, now that they've killed Liz. And Courtney has, that's Rose McCown, has a brilliant idea to, okay, we're going to make you, Fern, what you've always dreamed of, one of us. And we're going to reinvent you as long as you keep your mouth shut. And if you don't, basically, it's over for you. And mm. so Fern, this film, of course it does, because it's a 90s high school movie, features The Makeover, where we have Fern transform into Violet and <laughs> her alter ego as this, like, new prom bully. Um, so... This movie has every single trope that every high school film has, right? It's got the jocks. It's got the prom. It's got the nerdy teacher. It's got the makeover. It's got the mean girls. It's got the bullying. But it also has something extra, which is this incredibly dark, dark, dark story, right? They've murdered their friend. These girls are pretending to be sweet as pie, but really they are so salty they're going to kill you. Especially Fern Mayo has that. So why do you love this film, Sinclair? This was one that I watched a lot as a teenager. Like this this was a big one. And I, I liked the like dark, like Heather's aspect mm. of it. And yes. it was just very like, it was. it has just like a cult classic vibe to it as well. And I love Rose McGowan in it. I really like her yeah. as Courtney. Like I love when she's like, I killed this. I killed the team dream. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. This is a very quotable film. Yeah, it's incredibly um, quotable. You know, she's like, oh, life's a bitch, then you die. 
<laughs> yeah, like I loved Courtney. <laughs> it was not a hit. It made $3 million at the box office. So apparently we were the only ones who saw it. Well, that's what film, I mean. But... It had, it's a cult. It's a cult film. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure to rewatch, though. And so, uh, yeah, it was really fun to watch that this week. Also, a Jawbreaker candy itself has a has like juxtaposing flavors. Mm-hmm. Totally, Many layers. totally, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sinclair, what's your pick? Okay, uh, I watched a movie called Sweetie from 1989. Hmm. It's directed by Jane Campion. Oh, nice! It's uh, oh. Jane Campion's first feature film. So it's an Australian film. It was shot in Australia, and it kind of holds an important place in Australian cinema cool as she does <laughs> as well mm-hmm. yeah I just have been so impressed with Jane Campion lately I love the power mm. of the dog so much this year it's like my favorite film mm-hmm. of the year and I've seen all of Jane Campion's films except this one I think this was the oh, wow. last okay. one that I had to see and nice. it was her first one so I was like I need to watch That's that cool so, Sweetie is about two sisters, and the main sister is named Kay, and she's this very repressed, very sullen, angsty, introverted sister, and she has a sister named Dawn, who is nicknamed Sweetie, but Sweetie mm. is far from sweet. She is very maladjusted. She has a ton of emotional problems, addiction. She's very unstable. And she kind of comes in and out of Kay's life because she's in and out of like hospitalization. So she does come back into Kay's life and she starts to cause issues in the family like she always does. So even though, yeah, her name is her nickname is Sweetie. She's a lot more salty than than sweet. Mm. But at the same time, she has like a lot of people who are, you know, troublesome people. They have a lot of sweet qualities to them, but mm-hmm. also come with a lot of uh, saltiness as well. This film it has a very unique tone. It has a very independent style of film. It's very, it's very quirky. It's and it, but very dark. It kind of reminded me of a darker version of Cajillionaire, like Old Dolio. Hmm. Like the oh, character, the characters old feel Dolio. like Old Dolio and like her family. Like there's just okay. this like weird maladjusted darkness <laughs> to this family. It's this this dysfunction, but hmm. the tone is comedic in, in a lot of ways. And it also reminded me of Welcome to the Dollhouse. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's a movie from the 90s. No. Um, but that's another one about a very dysfunctional main character and dysfunctional mm. family. This is a family drama, basically, that's mm. explored through a comedic tone. So, yeah, it explores mental illness, sister dynamics, and women being treated like children. Hmm. So... It's almost like how a male character can really stunt the the growth of a woman. There's a lot of different themes of like the father treating them like like children. Like he calls Dawn sweetie. And it's this, mm. this idea of how girls, when we get called sweetie, it diminishes mm. us in a lot of ways. If it's mm. by a stranger, by, by an older man it has this weird effect on us where it, it feels like it dimin- diminishes who we are you. and mm-hmm. it makes us feel s- small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just a lot of exploration of that. And hmm. Jane Campion is really great at exploring these types of themes and women being placed in a really masculine world and how we right. fit in that world. And how that world affects who we are in our growth as mm. people. So this was a really big debut for her. She was nominated for a Palme d'Or at Cannes. And wow. yeah, I mean, then she went on to win a Palme d'Or for the piano. So this like really catapulted her into mm. kind of like the the director's limelight. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like super jagged, it's experimental, and it's so interesting to see how her work has evolved because 
like the power of the dog and other films by Jane Campion in her later career, they're very refined in, in a mm, lot of ways. Yeah. It's nothing like this one, but you can still see the influence. So mm, yeah, it's really just cool. really interesting to, to watch a director's first f- feature. I find it always very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this and a cool one, especially right now where she really is the front runner for director right. at the Oscars, presumably. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I want her to win. Like, I want her to win Me too. so badly. And Same. if, you know, you like The Power of the Dog and you're, like, interested in her, then this is, like, mm. a good time to kind of explore a filmography because it's going to be the year of yeah. mm-hmm. Jane Campion. Yeah, so, sweetie, uh, check it out if you're interested in more films by Jane Campion. Well, y'all, there is only one way to end this episode, and that's with a fun little game I call, She's Saying What Now? In honor of Alana Heim, our singer-songwriter-turned-movie star, we're going to play a game where I will play a clip of a film score or popular song from a movie soundtrack, and then you have to name the title of the film and the famous singer who swapped the stadium for the silver screen and acted in this film. One point for the movie title, one point for the singer turned actor. Any questions? Okay. So is it a, it's a song from a movie that the singer of the song is also in the movie? Nope. That a singer turned actor is starring in this film or acting in this film. So sorry, you're playing a clip of a song or no? Yes. Wait, do you understand the game, Sinclair? No. Um, yeah, so you're going to play a clip of a song that's in a movie. Of either, uh, yeah, either a film score or a popular okay. song from a movie soundtrack. Okay. And then this film stars okay. a singer turned actor. But okay, not but necessarily not... the singer of the song. Totally. It could be, it's a film score, but. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. And there happens to be a singer turned actor in the same film. In this film, exactly. Okay. So you're okay. gonna get okay. a point for naming the film and the famous singer who acted in okay. it. Okay. Okay. Helen, you go first. Okay, great. Love it. Okay. <laughs> what film is that no film idea. score from? <laughs> really? No. Da, 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 da. Uh, is it like The Prince of Egypt? Bum, 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 bum. Is it The Prince of Egypt? It is not The Prince of Egypt. Okay. Um, Sinclair, did you want to steal? Oh, my God. Okay. It's... um. You just got to guess something somewhere. I know. It's like, I thought this was so iconic. I thought you would get it. No, home, but sorry. these scores are okay. iconic to you. Yeah. This, this is a problem. Okay. It's The Hunger Games. I've never even I've seen never The Hunger seen Games. Hunger Games. <laughs> what? Okay. what Who? Who's in that? Lenny Kravitz. What? Okay. Lenny Kravitz? <laughs> Is in the Hunger yes. Games? Okay. Yes, he's a major character in the Hunger Games. Never seen it. Yeah, I know. I've never seen them either. Sinclair, <laughs> your my turn. turn. Okay, Sinclair's turn. Let's go. Let's go. Hmm. Oh, I think I know. Okay, that is a score from a film. Um. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Hermione's got her hand up, uh, Sinclair. Is it um, House of Gucci with Gaga? It is. It is not. My turn. Helen, would you like to steal? Yeah, Social Network, Justin Timberlake. Yes, you got it. Whoa, Two I points don't, for Helen. That, is that a social network score? 
Yes, yes Nine Inch Nails. Trent That's no, why it was for you. I don't recognize that. Oh. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Helen leads two points, and it's back to you, Helen. Okay. Well, it's Chicago, obviously. Oh, come on. Uh, Queen Latifah. Yes, very good. Okay, that one was easy. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, and then this one is for you, Sinclair. You're next. know these i mean yeah this, this is a joke for you sinclair is it, is it it's not yeah. someone i even like right <laughs> come on okay play it the winner takes it all the winner takes it all okay can you play it again play it again <laughs> Oh, it's someone no. I hate, right? Yeah. Is it Meryl Streep? Is it Mamma Mia? Yeah. Yes. I've never seen this. Meryl, okay, it's Mamma Mia. <laughs> Who the fuck is in Mamma Mia that's a singer? I don't know. I mean, it really should be everybody because it's a musical, but surprisingly, very few. Well, there's someone who's like very. Oh, share. Right? Jesus. Is it Cher? In the yes. second, second, the second one. Mamma Mia 2. Here yeah. we go again. Yeah. Oh, yes. there you go. Oh, that was Very awful. good. You got it. Yeah, well. <laughs> you did. Is that Meryl's oh, singing voice? that was very voice? much for you. Yes. Oh, God. I didn't even <laughs> recognize it. Okay. So current score, Helen, four points. Sinclair, two points. Mm-hmm. And Helen, you are up. Great. Oh, Selena, oh, Edison, Jennifer Lopez. What? These are easy. <laughs> well, I thought yours were too. Mama Mia, Hunger Games. Yes. I mean, Hunger Games is for me. <sighs> Hunger Games was for her. I gave you Trent Reznor, and I gave you Meryl Streep. I know, but you, I don't even remember that one from Social Network. In all the photography. Well, okay, okay, go. I'm ready. This is for you. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, boogie, boogie nights. Uh-huh. Boogie Nights. Um, I guess, I mean, Mark Wahlberg can count as a singer. Yeah, very <laughs> good. Mark, you got baby. it. <laughs> and his funky Okay. Punches. Yes, you got that. So there's an opportunity for you to, t- if there's one last one, the tiebreaker. And Sinclair, if you win it, then you guys will be tied. Otherwise, Helen is the victor. Um, wait, if let me play. Wait, what is the score? Helen has six. You've got four. Okay, but it's Helen's turn. It... No, it's a tiebreaker. So it's but the... whoever whoever says sh- it first. Oh, because, but it's whoever not says a tie. Okay. But it's not a tie. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a tie. Like... Oppor- it's an opportunity for a tie, <laughs> or Helen wins. So <laughs> it's a tiebreaker your, when it's your not options a tie? or lose or ties. Okay, I guess I'll <laughs> try to it. tie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll try and tie. You can't okay. win now, though, but that's fine. Here we go. Is it okay? Is it for both of us to answer? Yes, okay. whoever says it first. Is it the bodyguard, Whitney? Yes! <laughs> just just I mean, answer, Whitney. Like, 
It is. <laughs> Yay, Helen, you are the champion with eight points. Ha-ha. <laughs> well, yeah, listeners, please let us know if, uh, if you were playing along, if you were familiar with those scores. I have to say, Edison, I'm glad that you didn't do your game that you play on Instagram sometimes where you hum a film score and try and get people to guess it because that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair um yeah i was going to hum it but then i thought oh it was it actually took so long to get this together (laughs) well it was fine i mean i had fun i won so it was was a good one it was good um alrighty. well this has been another episode of talk movie to me if you would like to get in touch with us our email is talkmovie to me at gmail.com follow us on instagram at talk movie to me tweet at us at tmtm podcast rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts become a patreon member if you'd like to support our podcast patreon.com slash talk movie to me i'm helen i'm miss sinclair and i'm edison thanks for listening Bye. bye